What's happening, everybody? As we're off and running on an all-new episode of the Talkin' Audio Podcast. My name, as always, that's worded poorly. I've always had the same name. It is Matt Robinson. Happy you've chosen to check out another edition of the show. We are on social media at Talkin' Audio, and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're hearing us right now. Uh, Going to be a lot of Leafs today, and as uh, most of you regular listeners know, there was an episode earlier in the week that we lost due to some technical difficulties, which caused great consternation. And inside that episode, there was a bit of Leaf talk, a lot of it in terms of how they're going to shape up against the Lightning. Uh, the schedule was just released for round one of the playoffs. Leafs and Lightning go on Tuesday for game one. But before that happens, there's a couple things that went on throughout the season that I thought were probably worth touching on before we get fully into playoff mode. And I should point out that on Monday morning, Shrides will be sitting in to co-host the Monday morning podcast. It's Michaela Schrider from She's Got Game on TSN 1200, of course, longtime friend of the show. Um, she's going to sit in on that one. And at that time, we'll preview a bunch of these series. We'll kind of look ahead at which ones we're most looking forward to, which ones might be the most interesting. And of course, there will be a little bit of extra focus on the Leafs because obviously I'm a Leafs fan and she is a Leafs hater and the Leafs always seem to be the main event. Everybody tries to pretend that they're not and that the Leafs, you know, think they're the center of the hockey universe when they really aren't. And then everybody sits down and watches the Leafs as a villain anyway. So whether you're watching them out of love or out of hate, you're still kind of doing the thing. Anyway, we'll talk about the playoffs on Monday, when Shrides is in here, I want to look back a little bit and and just sort of, there was a few stories that didn't get a whole lot of attention throughout the season or throughout the end of the season. A couple things that we touched on on that lost episode earlier that I didn't really want to see, you know, totally get flushed away. And the further away you get from them, the less likely it is you're ever going to circle back. So we're just going to touch on a little bit of that. This won't be a long episode. Just had a bit of a hankering to talk some Leafs. Uh, as you've probably noticed by now, it is just me here on this one. But, got a pint anyway. I don't mind, I'll, I'll drink alone. Just for you people, right? I guess it's not alone. You're all here. I appreciate that. It allows me to have a pint. Uh, this one comes from Elmsdale, Nova Scotia. Now, I don't know almost anything about Elmsdale, Nova Scotia. I'm not sure I'd ever heard of it before I looked up the beer. So this is from the Good Robot Brewing Company out in uh, in Elmsdale. Uh, Elmsdale, a town, as, as Wikipedia tells me, of just over 3,000 people. So I don't, shout out Elmsdale. Um, my friend Jill, I mentioned this on an earlier episode, maybe a, a couple of times. I had a friend of mine who was in to visit, and actually when she was here, she jumped on the podcast quickly. I was asking her to try a craft beer. She's not really a beer person. She said, well... I'll do that, but I want you to try a White Claw, which at the time I'd never tried. So we're like, all right. So we fired up the mics and did that. Uh, that was a few episodes ago, but she brought beer and uh, she went through a place that is just behind security at Halif uh, Halifax Stanfield International Airport. And they sell after you've cleared security. So you don't have to try and, you know, I don't know what the rules are now about getting fluids and beverages and stuff through security. You've already cleared security. It's just carry on now. And so you go in and you can grab local wines or local beers or whatever. We've talked about this place before. It's a really cool idea. I don't really know why more airports don't do this. I'm not in the airport business. This isn't something I really understand. 
but it seems pretty obvious, right? You've been out for dinner somewhere and tried a bottle of wine that you really loved, but you couldn't drive to Elmsdale. You were out there for a business meeting or, you know, whatever the case may be. But you can go in at a place like this, grab a couple local beers, grab a local wine, whatever it was, and off you go. You take it home with you. Really cool idea. Uh, that's a whole other thing. Um, when Jill was coming through Halifax Airport, she stopped into this liquid assets store and grabbed me some, some Nova Scotia beer. So like I said, this is the Good Robot Brewing Company, and this beer is called the Creature Feature. Uh, interesting name. Um, it sounds like perhaps one that's kind of a rotation, right? We're featuring this one this month, this season. I, I'm not sure on that. But it's a New England IPA coming in at about 6.4%. And so we're going to give that a go before we talk a little Leafs. That's a little hoppier than I probably would have expected out of a New England IPA. And obviously any IPA is, can be and, and might be hoppy. But you always kind of think of them as, as more hazy, right? And this is, it's hazy. But it's got a little bit of that crispness to it, a bit of crack to it, right? That, that I'm kind of enjoying. Uh, a little bit of tropical flavor to it as well. So that is, you know, at least in my mind, I associate that sometimes a little bit more, maybe incorrectly, but with a New England IPA. Uh, Nova Scotia, not far from from New England. Uh, is there anything there? No, of course not. Uh, breweries just make New England IPAs. I get it. But maybe Elmsdale. Maybe right there, you know, close to <laughs> to Maine or something. I, I'm really not super familiar with, with my maritime geography. I should be. I apologize to my grade six geography teacher. Uh, this though is a pretty nice beer. Um, if you're interested, we always post pictures of the beers on our Instagram page, a tall can audio just kind of gives you, and it, you know, it, if you're curious about how hazy it might be or the art on the can so that you can kind of keep an eye out for it yourself, uh, give us a follow on Instagram at tall can audio. The beers are always posted there. So listen, a few different things I, I wanted to touch on here. Like I said, I'm not really, it's going to be hard not to mention Tampa Bay and what's coming up, right? That is the story now. That's where we're at. That's what everybody's getting geared up for. And so that's sort of the lens that we view the season through now, right? That's the spot we're all in. But largely, these are just a couple of storylines that crop up throughout the season and then sort of fade away or don't. But we talk about this on our Twitter page at Talking Audio all the time. You don't have to ride the roller coaster, right? There's a lot of entities out there, and we're sort of one of them, but we try and be a little more honest with you. But they cover the Leafs every day, every week, and there has to be a story or you don't click or you don't listen or you don't watch. They have to sell you something every day. And so the minor, the most minor little things become these big stories for a couple days and they just don't have to. And I wonder if you can remember, because it feels like a million years ago during training camp, Sheldon Keefe drops the bombshell. We're going to have Mitch Marner play some defense. Do you remember that? That was a huge thing for like a week or 10 days. They're going to put Marner on the blue line sometimes. Do you remember one time during the regular season where you saw it? Of course not. 
Because as we pointed out here at the time, what it means is maybe he sees some time on the point during the power play. Especially when you have four forwards and one defense anyway, if Riley ends up deep, Marner is one of your most responsible defensive forwards. He's obviously going to slide back sometimes. Maybe during a six on five, when you're running out of time, and you're probably going to have five forwards and Morgan Riley out there late anyway, maybe Marner's the one sitting back towards the blue line being a little more responsible. But how many times do you honestly remember during the season any sort of alignment, any sort of period, like an entire third period where the Leafs are trailing and need some offense where they ran Mitch Marner out there as a blue liner? I don't remember any. It was a big deal for a couple days. We talked all about it. Numerous columns written, video packages put up on sportsnet.ca and tsn.ca. Entire segments dedicated on radio shows. Can Mitch Marner play defense? Is this a condemnation of the blue line that Kyle's built because they don't have enough right-handed blue liners? Which is actually a little funny now. Because we've got like nine defensemen as we get ready for the playoffs. Uh, a bunch brought in around the deadline. And this and, and that's with guys hurt. Remember Victor Mete? Remember he was playing minutes early in the season? Yeah, hurt. Gone. You haven't seen him since. Jake Muzzin started the season. I think he played like four games. Gone. I, I understand these aren't necessarily right-handed defensemen. But you see my point. It's a long season. And there's a lot of things that we kind of blow up in the moment that don't turn out to mean anything. Blue liner, Mitch Marner, was one of them. Didn't really pan out. It's funny, you think about Victor Mete, right? Jordy Ben was getting minutes early in the season. It's funny, they actually had reasonable blue line depth, and then it kind of felt like they didn't, and then we got to the deadline, and man, you couldn't turn around without bumping into a blue liner. Mitch Marner, not one of them. Uh, the goaltending was another storyline, and that one continued to weave its way all the way through the season. Kyle Dubas had taken a big risk over the summer in bringing in Ilya Samsonov and Matt Murray, and how was that going to pan out? Was he betting his entire career, or at least his Maple Leafs career, on these two guys? And I don't think it's unfair at this point to say, eh, it's kind of a mixed bag. I've seen people use the word disaster to describe Matt Murray. I wouldn't go that far. I was on this show after the trade was made railing against it. It was not a good deal. And honestly, all the way through the season, I wasn't, as we sit here now, I don't think it was a good trade. But disaster is strong. Has it really stopped them? from doing anything else that they wanted to do? Has it stopped them from putting up a 111-point season, just four points shy of the franchise record they set last year? No, it hasn't. Does that mean it's been a good idea and it's worked out perfectly? Absolutely not. Matt Murray has played 26 games this year. Early on, not bad. And actually, a couple of really good games when he was healthy. Uh, but towards the end, you know, he's coming back. He's got an ankle thing and there's a head. There's always a head thing. Um, Later on, not so good. And as we sit here now starting the playoffs, actually, by the time you hear this, 
you'll have probably seen who was on the ice for Saturday practice. I'm recording this on Friday evening. I don't expect Matt Murray will be there, but it's possible that he is. And all of this is outdated. But even if he is, he'll be the backup. But I fully expect that to be Joseph Wall. And and he's earned that. I think you're always a little nervous when you elevate a goalie until he shows you he can do it. You're not sure if he can do it. And I mean, that sounds obvious. But like, if something happened to Samsonov, and we don't know how healthy Samsonov is. There's been a couple of times here late in the season where you kind of watch him getting up and you're he's grimacing a little. And you're like, oh my God. Um, but then he just keeps playing and and playing well. So I'm not super worried. I, I absolutely understand why they didn't want him to play Tuesday and Thursday. We'll talk about that in a minute, but like if we had to start Joseph wall in game one, you'd be nervous. I'd be nervous. He's played well this year, two years ago. He was a lost cause. Last year, you're like, all right, we'll see. And this year, he gets off to a killer start in the AHL with the Marlies. And then when he comes up to the Leafs, he puts up like a 6-2-0 record, an 8-2-0 record, whatever it is, save percentage well north of 900, which I don't know if you kept an eye on it this year. The save percentage in the NHL just went off a cliff. Average save percentage is right around 900 this year. 899. It's been coming down for a bit. You used to look at 915 as the average and it was sort of 908, and it was sort of 903, 905. Man, it's it's continuing to go down. I'm not sure anyone's had a good handle on exactly why that is yet. There's obviously a few different factors playing out. But Joseph Wall in the NHL, in a small sample size, has put up well above average numbers this year. So, like, he's earned the right to be in the mix. He's earned the right for the coach to have some confidence in him. But as a fan, you don't have to. I get it. Like, I don't. And it's not because he's done anything wrong. It's just because until you see it in the playoffs against Tampa Bay Lightning over seven games, you're not hanging your hat on what he did on a Tuesday night at the end of the regular season either. So, but he's going to be the backup. And, you know, as you kind of look at this season-long storyline that was the goaltending, Samsonov has performed well above what you would have expected coming in this year. And Matt Murray's been a disappointment. Disaster, I stopped short of that. But disappointment, absolutely. He's a capable goaltender. And you've seen that at times when he's been in the net. He's had some good stretches, both in Toronto and in Ottawa last year. You just don't see it often enough anymore. And it's so weird. Like, I I, I tend to think the term... Injury prone gets overused in sports. Like if you have somebody who kind of, I don't know, breaks an ankle on a freak play and then gets hit in the hand with a slap shot in front of the net, you know, a couple wonky things like that. Is he injury prone or is he just (laughs) kind of a klutz with bad luck? Like honestly, if you keep blowing out your shoulder and it's the same shoulder, you're like, all right, that's a problem. Like, that shoulder is injury-prone, and it's been an issue his whole career. I get that. But, like, in this one, you've seen, like, a groin thing and an ankle thing and now a concussion thing on that freak play uh, against Detroit a couple of weeks ago. I get why people want to call him injury-prone, because he keeps getting injured. 
but some of it's just weird. And so I don't think he's been on the ice since that incident. And so I would be absolutely stunned if he was suddenly ready to back up uh, for game one. So it'll be Samsonov and Joseph Wall. I think I want to talk a little bit about what happened over the last week or 10 days with the goaltending position with Toronto, because there's been a lot written about it. And I think in some cases you've seen like the national rights holder not be willing to just come right out and say what happened because they're, they know the league is pissed and you're a partner with the league. So if you'll allow me to go back to a week ago, Thursday, like 10 days ago, Joseph Wall plays, I believe it was, was it against Boston? I think it was against Boston. And then the Leafs send him down immediately after that. And they say it's because Matt Murray, we think, might be ready to back up on Saturday. Samsonov's going to play against the Habs, but Murray might be ready to go. You haven't seen Murray yet. They knew then Matt Murray was not ready to go. That's a sto- like that's a cover, that's a ploy. This is something for the cap machinations. This is being done for the cap reasons. So you send down Joseph Wall after that Boston game on Thursday. You tell everybody it's because we think Murray's ready to come back. And then on Saturday, you're like, oops, oh no, Matt Murray's not ready. We totally didn't see that coming. We need an emergency backup. And so you sign this kid, Jet Alexander. And we'll get to how that all played out in a minute. But what happens at that point is you're allowed to use Jet Alexander as your emergency backup and play technically a player short. You've seen this in other places. Last year, Vegas played multiple games, one man short. Other teams have done it as well. I remember Calgary a few years ago having to do it. This has been a thing before. The idea is we are in cap trouble and the league punishes you for that by saying you can have your 12 forwards and only five defense instead of six or the other way around. It's up to you. You can have six defense and only 11 forwards, but you will play shorthanded because you legitimately can't put a full lineup under your cap. It happens. Let me take you back to October 2021. Peter Morazic and Jack Campbell are the Leafs tandem at the time. So Jack Campbell starts the season opener on Wednesday. Peter Morazic starts the second game on Thursday on a back-to-back, right? Playing against the Sens. He gets hurt halfway through the game. So Campbell has to come in at that point. You haven't burned off any cap space yet. We've talked about this before, that you accrue cap space as you move through the season. In theory, you keep getting a little more room and a little more room and a little more room every day. Well, this is like day three or four of the season. Justin Hall is sick. We're in a different place with the pandemic. It's He has like cold and flu symptoms and they're waiting for the test to come back on the Saturday. So he may not be able to play and it's not LTIR, right? When you're just sick and you no longer have, like they've waived the taxi squad at this point, all these things. So they need a defenseman, and now Mrazek is hurt, and you don't have enough cap space to bring up a goalie to back up Jack Campbell. And I'll never forget the chaos that went on on hockey Twitter that morning. What are they going to do? They don't have room for a goal. Well, you just 
dress the e-bug right away. Instead of waiting for somebody to get hurt and have him get dressed and come out and sit on your bench, you just go, we need an emergency goalie. And he comes out and he sits as your backup. And at the time, everybody's pointing and laughing at the Leafs going, I can't believe you fucked your cap this bad. All these sorts of things. And what happens after you use, whether you're Vegas who plays a skater short or Toronto who plays a goalie short, you then get to use an emergency call-up. You only have to play the one game shorthanded. And then they go, yep, we get it. You wouldn't have done that unless it was an actual emergency. Here, you can use a replacement. So on that night, back in October of 2021, the Leafs decide, what are the odds our goalie's going to get hurt? Like, if we're prepared, other teams are prepared to use one less skater, we'll use one less goalie. You're going to give us an emergency one if we need it anyway. And how often does a goaltender really get hurt? It happens. But is it 50% of the time? No. 30% of the time? No. Like 10%? No. Like it's a really low number. They're not counting on Jack Campbell getting hurt. And they go, we'll just roll the dice on that. And then we get our emergency call up. And it's Chris Johnston who tweets out, He's like the first one to catch on and go, I get why everyone's laughing, but there are GMs telling me that this was fucking brilliant and more teams will do this in the future. Your goalie's probably not going to get hurt. He'll just play. Instead of going a skater short, you go a goalie short. If you need, heaven forbid, Jack Campbell did get hurt. Whatever. Here's the e-bug. We'll pinch our nose for one night. And the next day, we get our emergency call up anyway. And so that's what they did. Kid named Alex Bishop. He gets in there. He gets to back up. And off you go. And everyone has to stop pointing and laughing. I'll never forget someone replying to me on Twitter that day and calling the Leafs a poverty franchise. This is one of those terms that moves around on hockey Twitter, on sports Twitter, really. And it's one of those things we all know these people who've seen a cool insult or a funny term or something or just a word that they clearly don't understand but want to use it anyway. So this guy's throwing out poverty franchise because the Leafs don't have room under their cap to bring in a goalie. They don't have room under the cap to bring in a goalie because they've spent too much money. That's not poverty. But I heard this word. I saw someone else use it. It's funny. I'm going to use it. Just, just don't, you don't get it. You don't know what you're saying. Anyway, by the end of the weekend, all of us who sort of didn't understand what was happening have come around and gone, it was actually pretty clever because Campbell plays, he doesn't get hurt and you're off and running. You bring up at the time, Eric Schalgren. That brings us back to this week. The Leafs have done this before. We don't have room to call up a goalie. We'll use the e-bug or an amateur tryout for one night. And the next day, they'll let us call up our goalie then. So on Thursday, the Leafs send down Joseph Wall. They tell everybody it's because Matt Murray is going to be ready to back up on Saturday. Matt Murray is not ready to back up on Saturday, which they knew. So they're just like, well, whatever. Samsonov will play. We use the amateur tryout at the time. I don't remember. They've used like three or four of them now. So was that the kid? That was U of T. That was Jet Alexander. U of T, I believe. And so they play the game and they 
absolutely curb stomp the Habs. And on Sunday, they're like, okay, we're ready for our emergency call-up. And to their credit, the league goes, fuck off. You created this emergency, which they did. They had a perfectly healthy goalie on Thursday. They sent him down. They used his cap space to sign Matthew Nyes and then said, hey, we did play on Saturday night, though, with that emergency goalie. I know we've used up Wall's cap space signing Matthew Nyes, but we need a backup now. And the league goes, probably shouldn't have signed Matthew Nyes. You had the cap space. You had the healthy goalie. And you've chosen to piss it away. And they're correct about that. That's exactly what Toronto did. Now, this didn't catch Dubas by surprise. By all accounts, I believe it was Chris Johnston again who reported that on Sunday, around the Leafs practice facility, there was like five goalies kicking around. Like, they knew they might need some kids. The other thing about an amateur tryout is you only get one. Like, if you pick a kid who was the starter for the London Knights this year and they've been eliminated from the playoffs and you throw him into the net, he can only do that for one game. So you need, like, three or four of these guys if you're going to have to navigate through the rest of the week like this, which they didn't expect to have to do. But Monday, the league is still saying, no, you did this to yourself. We're not giving you an emergency call-up. So Samsonov plays again on Monday against the Florida Panthers. Again, he's sort of beat up. He's kind of sore. I don't know how much they really wanted him to be playing, but they use another amateur as their backup and no problem. Leafs get through that unscathed. Nobody gets hurt and you're fine. Tuesday in Tampa is the interesting one. It's a back-to-back. You're getting ready to play Tampa in the playoffs. Samsonov is hurt. Not hurt necessarily, but beat up, as I've said. How bad do you want to make him play back-to-back? He hasn't played back-to-back all year. So they really don't want to do it under the best of circumstances. And these are not the best of circumstances. He's sore. It's a back-to-back. There's a good chance, even if he doesn't get hurt, he gets lit up by Tampa. Tampa gets to see him. You're sort of showing your cards a week before the playoffs. And what happens to his confidence if they do light him up because the team's tired from the night before and blah, blah, blah. The Leafs are still saying, we'll take, that emergency call up anytime and give it to us. We'd like to bring Joseph Wall back. And the league says no. And there's only a couple reporters who have talked about this honestly again, because I think the league was pissed. And so Sportsnet's not touching that. And they're the broadcaster. They're the national rights holder, blah, all this shit. What clearly happened is the league said to Dubas and the Leafs, just play Samson off again on Tuesday and we're fine here. You can use another amateur as your backup. And the Leafs said, you, you don't tell us our lineup. We're not playing Samsonov on a back-to-back. That's not happening. We are locked into second place. We have home ice guaranteed. This game doesn't matter to us. But the league's feeling a little embarrassed because the Leafs are about to start some kid who, God knows, played for the Podunk Pioneers last night, and they don't care about this game. Get in there, kid. Whatever happens, happens. The league does not want two amateurs as your tandem. One is a starter and one is the backup. So they're pushing, telling the Leafs to start Samsonov. Dubas is going, no, we're good. Not doing that. And eventually the league goes, okay, fine. And they cave because they're not going to just let the Leafs embarrass the league. I don't get the impression Dubas or the Leafs were feeling embarrassed at all. The game was less than an exhibition game to them at that point. 
So they don't care. They'll use whatever goalie they have to use just to get through it healthy and, and not risk anything. And the league goes, ah, fine, fuck off here. You can have your guy. And that's the way it played out. Joseph Wall plays on Tuesday against Tampa, gets a win. Pretty nice. Plays again on Thursday with yet another amateur in the background. But this is what happens. The Leafs pushed hard and they got punished, but not really. Like the league told them, and I think it was fair for the league to say, no, you created this emergency. We're not helping you. And the Leafs were prepared for that outcome and said, all right, well, fine. We'll just use a bunch of kids out of junior or the University of New Brunswick or whoever the hell else was kicking around. He said five goalies on the ice on Sunday, just going, yeah, let's see who's ready. Some of you might be called on, so get your shit together. It was an interesting saga. And you can be mad at the Leafs if you want. I get it. They did push too far and the league pushed back and everything just kind of carried on. Like I said, when you're locked into home ice already and you've known who you're playing since like, what, November 10th? Who cares? Throw some kid in there, whatever happens, happens. The league didn't want to do that. So that's sort of my take on how all of this played out. I think it's within the rules, although you have pushed them as far as you can and manipulated them as best you can to say, we're totally fine to just keep using amateur backup goalies for the last four or five games of the year because these games don't mean anything to us. I also think it's fine for the league to go, you're fucking around here, man. You're not doing this. And the Leafs just go, all right. I think everybody was within their rights to play this out the way they did. And you can be mad at the Leafs for pushing it too far or embarrassing the league or going above the cap or whatever else. But these loopholes are open. The league has failed to close them. We have had a cap since 2005. How are these holes still there? As long as they're there, teams get to use them. On the Sunday, the Boston Bruins made five emergency call-ups. Does anyone believe the Bruins had five emergencies on Sunday? No, they wanted to rest their guys like lots of teams are doing. And to get around, they had the cap space, so it really wasn't a big deal and the league didn't want to punish them. But you don't use up your quote-unquote real call-ups if you call them emergency call-ups. And they didn't care about their games either. They'd locked everything up. And and My point is, these loopholes exist to get around the cap, to get around the rules, and so teams are going to do it. You can be mad at the Bruins, you can be mad at the Leafs, but, but it's just smart to take as much advantage as you can. I don't know if this is worth giving any attention to. Let me circle back to last Saturday, though, the game against Montreal. The Leafs put in the e-bug with 70 seconds left. And Chris Weidman, who will have a great story to tell next year when he's back in the Swiss League, about the time he stood up to the Leafs. Uh, I'm not as... I wasn't as in love with it as everybody else. I didn't hate it. I thought Chris Weidman still came off as a whiner. I thought this idea that it insults the game, like Damian Cox was tweeting out, was a little over the top. But at the same time, I do sort of understand the idea that this is supposed to be the top league in the world and you just throw some guy in there at the end just because you can. I sort of understand that argument. But the real thing that stands out to me here is this idea of the hockey code 
Because that was always the thing that was going to get you into trouble when you do something like this. And Edmonton did it a couple of weeks ago as well, and I kind of went, eh, it wasn't worth making a big deal out of. You just shrug your shoulders and, and don't be that guy on Twitter. But I will be that guy on the podcast when there's a little room, a little more than 280 characters to make your point. All we ever hear about is the hockey code and respect your opponent and all this. Stuff. And it's mostly bullshit. Respect your opponent while you're face washing him and slew footing him and going knee on knee. And when people break the code all the time. But you don't rub you, you know, after you're up by a certain amount, you don't do the fly by the bench anymore. You don't celebrate anymore. These sorts of things. But you do throw in some asshole studying for midterms and goal just because you can. Ah, I understand why guys are going to get upset about that. I'm not one of them, but it's just about the most predictable thing in the world to be able to see that someone on the other team is going to take that as an insult. Now, the Habs already had big blue tire treads on their back before this happened, but now you're up 7-1. You're like, hey, get in there, kid. Was it a big deal? Not really. And I'm like, for the kid, I'm happy. Like, that's a cool thing. That's a cool story. I'm sure the, the he gets to cape a bunch of the gear. Normally, the guys in the locker room pass around an envelope because the Leafs aren't allowed to pay him. So they'll take care of him. Like, very cool moment. And I'm glad that he had that. But if we're all, you can't be one of these people who swears up and down the hockey code is great, but also thinks this is great. Because inside that ridiculous code is this idea that, you don't do anything to show up your opponent and throwing in a goalie who is nowhere close to NHL caliber when you're up seven to one. I sort of understand why people would view that as, as showing up your opponent. Now, Chris Weidman, his idiot comment. What do you say? They'll, they'll get what they deserve in a couple weeks. Screams big loser energy. Like it comes off very much as someone just beat you up, took your lunch money, and you said, my big brother will kick your butt later. Oh, okay. All Chris Weidman has said is that someone else will come along and do what we couldn't do tonight, is the way I took that comment. You just got kicked in the face, you're unhappy about it, so you picked a sad little occasion to to trot it that, well... A better team than us will dole out our payback for us. Okay, man, good for you. Right? It was a big, big time loser comment. And like I said, Chris Weidman will be back in the KHL or the Swiss League or whatever within 18 months. And he'll be able to tell all his buddies over there about the time he, uh, I don't know, stood up to the Leafs after getting just absolutely hammered. So, I mean, to tie all that together, yeah, the, the, the storyline all year about the, the goaltending Remains unresolved. You're about to face Vasilevsky, who is having a down year. And you have Samsonov, who's having a career year. And you could make the argument that Vasilevsky's down year numbers are still every bit as good as your goalie's career year numbers. So, we'll see. Uh, the Leafs showed last year Vasilevsky is human. But Vasilevsky showed in those last three games of last year's series, that he is still absolutely capable of shutting it down. So to me, that's the question going into this series more than anything else. 
I like Toronto's defensive depth better than Tampa's this year. I didn't last year, but you lose Ryan McDonough and all of a sudden things change in a hurry for Tampa. I like Toronto's forward depth better than Tampa's, which I didn't last year. I probably would have called that about a tie, but this year with some of the moves they've made, I like Toronto's depth better, but the goaltending remains a question mark. Samsonov was a question mark coming into the season. And he's going to be a question mark going into the playoffs. I think he has one career playoff win uh, with Washington. And other than that, they've chosen to go with someone else. Vasilevsky has been as good as it, probably the best goalie in the league for the last five years. Now, is it possible that he's worn down a little after three runs to the cup final? Sure, it's possible. That's why it's called a question mark and not an exclamation mark at this point. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, yeah, you're you're staring down. You brought in, and Kyle Dubas said this, and I thought it was a ridiculous thing to say even then, was that they brought in Murray for his playoff experience. He's got two cups, and that's all fair. Now, he never went wire to wire as the starter in either one of those runs, and they were like six years ago. And he has been through a lot since, both physically and mentally. But he's not even available to you now, which was always the biggest risk. I always suspected if he played, he'd be fine, whether it be during the regular season or the playoffs. But he's got to play, and he's not going to, at least not for a while. So I think Toronto's the favorites, so I'm still not betting very much because they've actually got to show up and do it. They haven't earned the benefit of the doubt. And while Tampa's only been like the 24th best team in the league since February 1st, I do believe it's possible that they flip a switch. I don't believe that with most teams, but they've known, just like the Leafs, exactly who they're facing for a very long time. So if after three consecutive runs to the Stanley Cup final, they sort of decided, you know what, let's conserve our energy a bit and just sort of coast to the finish line and then turn it on, that wouldn't shock me. It's possible they're out of gas. It's also possible they're just waiting until it matters. And even if they are out of gas, like, what does that mean? Maybe they can still gear up for a round or two and just don't have it in them to get all the way to the final again. Like, I think the idea that they might be out of gas, like, it's a reasonable theory but I don't think it kicks in in round one. I think that is an advantage for someone who sees them later on. Uh, The other storyline I wanted to touch on just quickly before we get out of here, Kyle Dubas without a contract. I wasn't sure what that would mean for the trade deadline. Was he a lame duck? Would he have the authority to make the moves he wanted to make? Would he have to run everything by Shanny or ownership because he's, He may not be here next year. So do you get to make long-term commitments? Well, he made a bunch of deals at the deadline. And so it sure looks like they said to him, rightly so, go ahead, make your moves. Because if you've already decided you're not going to let him do his thing, you might as well fire him now. So they went ahead and let him do it. And they danced as tightly to the cap this year as they ever have. And this is a story every year. But this year, man, like I talked about with the goaltending things and, and, and the trade deadline, the pieces moving in and out, all these things, 
This was a masterclass by Dubas and Brandon Printham and their front office on how to get away with murder, basically. And they've gotten here now for one more year. They brought in O'Reilly, brought in Jake McCabe. Like these players had money still on their deals. And they have found a way to get these guys into the lineup and they are contributing. And I think they will be important pieces against Tampa. Those two specifically, but Nolachari as well. Maybe Sam Lafferty to a lesser extent. But to bring in and create the space when you had none for Jake McCabe and Ryan O'Reilly is pretty impressive. But like we just saw on Friday, Pittsburgh, after having made the playoffs every single year since 2006, their ownership went, yeah, you missed it this year. Fuck you. You're out. And the talk around Pittsburgh immediately turned to Dubas. Maybe Kyle Dubas would be the right fit in Pittsburgh. He would fit, right? The new Pittsburgh ownership is a conglomerate now similar to MLSE, that Fenway Sports Group that owns the Red Sox and some other properties as well. Kyle Dubas knows how to work in an environment like that. You know, he's an easy face to put out in front. He doesn't say anything crazy or controversial. Fits nicely into a corporate landscape. And he's done a good job. Like, I think it's possible to say, honestly, that he's built good teams and they haven't rewarded him. These have been good teams, no matter how many times they haven't gotten out of the first round. That's on them. Every year he has improved the team. So we sit here right now, he doesn't have a contract for next year. There's going to be change, one way or another, if this doesn't work in round one against Tampa. Maybe he decides he wants to move on. Maybe he feels disrespected. And if he does, someone will pay him right away. And it might be Pittsburgh. There will be other openings this year. We'll see. But it was a risk to not lock him up because he has a good reputation around the league. Whether he has a good reputation in Toronto or not, uh, that's up for some debate. But around the league, he's pretty well respected. So I just thought it was interesting that they went through an entire year like this. But it does appear they let him do what he wanted to do. And that's important. Because you can't leave this guy in a lame duck situation and handcuff him. He's got to be allowed to do his thing. And it appears he was. So I was a little surprised. Honestly, we're at 111 points again now after setting a record last year with 115 points. I I understand it's a winning business, but I've said on the show a few times before, I don't know what's better. Like, I don't know who else you're getting that you can guarantee is an improvement. And after they went out, had a really good season again, and it would look that much better if the Bruins hadn't done what the Bruins have done all year. There was a point there, January, February, I probably would have re-signed him. I'm not sure. It's so complicated. Are you really going to make this decision based on what happens over the next 10 days against Tampa Bay? And it looks like they are. We know now he has built good teams. For years now, they have finished high in the standings. You already have that piece of information. What you've been unhappy about, 
and fair enough, is what's happened in the playoffs. So I guess if they lose to Tampa, you fire him. If they don't, you keep him. Like to me, that's a troubling way to make a decision. Cast aside the last several hundred games to make a decision based on seven. At the same time, that's sports. If you don't win, they will replace you with someone they think will. And they get to do that. I think it'll be a mistake, but it's still on the table. If they lose to Tampa this year, I don't know what happens. You got big contracts all over the place. You got to talk to Matthews and Nylander this summer and start trying to get them back under contract long-term. You've got the Ryan O'Reilly thing to figure out. You're going to have to figure out Matt Murray. Are you bringing him back again? Are you going to try and punt him down to Arizona? There's a lot of work to do. And I, I just... I probably wouldn't have left myself in this situation. I'd have locked him up and maybe only to like two years. Now, who knows? Maybe he would have said no to two years. He knows he's going to be valuable out there, but I see got two years. And then if you want to fire him, you still can. You can afford it. I think this is the last year of the Babcock contract. So you're going to have some more money kicking around when you're done paying him. You could pay that to Dubas to not work if you really wanted to. But it's been fascinating to watch the team he put together this year, the moves he made, the goaltending. Like I said, Murray has been a disappointment, and it was a bad idea at the moment he did it. Samsonov has panned out better than I would have expected. Cali Yarncroke has never hit 20 goals before. He did it this year, and you got him for $2.1 million for four years. It's a nice piece of business. You've brought in Jake McCabe, not just for this year, but for two more years after this. And you got Chicago to eat half of his cap for all of that time. You're paying Jake McCabe $2 million for two more years after this one. That is a fantastic contract. Like he's made nice moves. Let's see if they pan out. That appears to be, at this point, all that matters for MLSE. That might be a mistake. Leave that up to you to decide for yourself. Playoff wins matter. Got to have them. This is how we judge success in North American sport. But it is making a decision based on an incredibly small sample size and ignoring a much larger successful one. So, And just quickly before we get out of here, maybe one more thing to, to take note of here before we start the playoffs. And I'll, it is sort of a, a lingering thing from the season but it may or may not play out in the playoffs. I'll let you decide for yourself whether or not you're concerned about it or not. And that would be kind of Tavares and Nylander sort of limp into the finish a little bit. Now, they both picked it up a little in the last couple games, but there was a point early in the year where it looked like both Tavares and Nylander were going to coast to 40 goals. Uh, Tavares doesn't quite get there. He only ends up at 36. Willie gets there on the final game of the season. He gets his 40th. You know, more a symbolic thing than anything else. If he had ended the year at 39 as opposed to 40, how much better or worse of a year was it? But it's nice to have that in your back pocket and be able to say, I'm a 40 goal guy, right? So, you know, he pushes up against 90 points. Tavares ends up at about a point a game again. But earlier in the season, they were sort of cooking. Uh, Tavares, though, since March 1st, I believe it is, 
only has one five-on-five goal. And so he's still producing. He's still been valuable. He's also been moved around a lot, right? When O'Reilly's been in and out of the lineup, Tavares has been back and forth from center to the wing. I don't know how much of an adjustment that was for him, but it's a factor, I guess. Uh, He's still been producing on the power play as well. But, you know, not a strong finish after a great start. Now, is that a guy who knows the Leafs are locked in and he can just kind of coast to the finish and then fire it up at playoff time? I don't know if Tavares has earned that, right? If, if we can just believe that that's the case. If you recall, during last year's series against Tampa, uh, the first three or four games, not really noticeable, but was dominant at the end of the series. The last couple games was terrific. So you're going to need that from him all along. And like I said, we'll get into the playoff stuff with Shrides later on. This is more looking back at the season. And so as a season-long storyline, there's Tavares getting off to this terrific start, which they badly needed, right? Matthews was not himself for most of the season uh, before sort of turning it on late. But Tavares was great and was kind of carrying the load for them. Willie, same thing, off to an unbelievable start, felt like he was scoring a goal every night, and then sort of cooled off again. And his is interesting because it sort of coincides with when they broke him up with Matthews and put him back with Tavares. And that's never really worked, right? We've seen it so many times that John Tavares and William Nylander, for whatever reason, just don't click the way that Austin and Willie and and JT and Mitch do. Now, it's up to you whether or not you want to go down that road, you know, as a in a playoff series. They seem to prefer the idea of putting Mitch and Matthews together on a top line and forcing Tampa to deal with that. And I understand that. It's not a crazy idea. It's not a terrible theory. Have your two best players kind of loaded up together. But it does leave you a little softer on that second line. Now we'll see what they want to do with O'Reilly and whether or not he's going to play in the middle with those guys and maybe help out defensively a little bit there or whether or not he gets moved down to third line and, you know, Willie and JT are sort of forced to to put this together. But it is interesting to note that down the the stretch, when they were both struggling, it was after they'd been put back together. So I don't know how in love with that you are. Um, I would be tempted, and I don't think they will, but if it was me, and Kyle called me, wanted my opinion, I would probably be looking at putting Willie back with Matthews and Mitch back with O'Reilly and Tavares and, you know, getting the most out of both of those guys in different positions. But, uh, you know, as a season-long storyline, it was interesting that they both got off to hot starts, and then when you put them together, they both cooled. So, uh, you know, read into that what you will. Uh, But it was interesting just sort of, and like I said, they sort of both picked it up. Tavares was looking a little more noticeable in the last couple games. Certainly Willie uh, against Montreal last Saturday was just flying, and uh, he you could tell on Thursday he badly wanted that 40th goal uh, the way he was shooting. But, uh, you know, Instead of the two of them kind of coasting past those numbers we talked about a minute ago, JT doesn't quite get there, and and Willie just gets there by the skin of his teeth. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. That's probably enough for tonight, honestly. I feel like I've rambled a little bit here, but there was some Leaf things that I know once we get into the playoffs, we're going to slip through the cracks. And I did want to weigh in on the goalie controversy here over the last couple weeks. I did want to talk about Matt Murray a little bit. It's going to get crazy. Uh, I'm not sure. We've gotten a couple people in the replies in the DMs asking if there's going to be post-game shows this year. If you recall last year, we did Matt and Maddie's Manic Maple Leaf musings after every playoff game. Now, there was only seven of them, but I'm not sure we're going to commit to that again. I actually haven't talked to Maddie about it. 
but one of the things that happens is the NHL starts dicking around with start times instead of being a seven o'clock game that ends by like nine forty-five. Sometimes it's eight o'clock. Now it's ten forty-five. Before you fire up the studio, and then I gotta edit and produce before going to bed, and it it gets late fast. But there will be more content than usual. Whether it's right after every game, I can't say that. But maybe the next day, you fire off another quick solo show based on how things have gone or what you've seen. Maybe we call Maddie. Maybe we call Dr. Vicky. You know, and we'll see what's happening. But uh, there will be extra content while the Leafs are playing in the playoffs. I'm just not prepared to commit at this point to a post-game show every night. We'll see, though. If Maddie comes to me desperate to, re- to revive Matt and Maddie's manic Maple Leaf musings, we can talk about it, but uh, like I said, that'll be it for now. Shrides is going to be in here co-hosting the Monday morning show, so we look forward to talking to you then about all the other series coming up, and we'll get her take on Leafs Lightning as well. Plus, Women's World Hockey Championships is going on right now. We've got baseball finally back up and running. The Blue Jays have just given Tampa Bay their first loss of the season, so fuck yeah. Was so happy to see that. Can't stand the Rays. It was nice to watch them implode on themselves there in the fifth or sixth inning, whenever that was. Uh, we got a bunch of stuff to talk to Michaela about, so hope you'll stick around for that as well. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast where you're hearing me right now. Make sure you're following on social media at Audio. My name's Matt Robinson. Thanks for hanging out tonight, and we'll talk on Monday. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy, I don't care.